0: Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code Ninja 21
1: We're a really small lab team. We only have three lab techs and a lab manager. And although we're really small, we are really comprehensive in our quality program.
0: As you may have noticed, one of the goals of this show is to highlight some of the really great content that comes out of the countless Master Brewers district meetings happening all over the place. As you'll hear at the very end of this episode... The presentation these two ladies gave at a recent District Rocky Mountain meeting got rave reviews. This week on the show, we're diving into many of the same topics from that presentation about comprehensive quality at Odell's.
2: Hi, my name is Lauren Rivera and I'm a lab technician at Odell Brewing Company.
1: Hi, my name is Tess Downer and I'm a lab tech at Odell Brewing Company.
0: A lot of folks confuse or use the terms QA and QC interchangeably. Talk about the differences and what QA and QC each look like at Odell's.
1: QA is a little bit more um, proactive while QC is more reactive. Um, It's important to have both in your quality Program because you need to do both at the same time in order to have a quality product. QA is like kind of happening throughout the whole process while QC is happening after a beer or wine has been made. QA is more process-oriented while QC is more product-oriented. And QA is kind of like company-wide, so all of Odell is doing it all the time, whether they know it or not. And then QC is team-wide, so we're just focusing on it uh, in the lab.
0: Talk about why you do micro testing and who is involved in that process.
2: Yeah, so the purpose of our microbiology program is to ensure that our beer is going to be free of any organisms that are not deliberately added at every stage of production. So the lab is heavily involved in that process. We are constantly running samples daily and... We also have the pack team gathering samples for us, the cellar, as well as the brew house. So it's kind of a whole production process, and it's really great that we can get everyone involved to do it. All of our production co-workers are trained on our sterile sampling technique. Uh, basically, we place a lot of importance on the integrity of that sample because we really need it to be representative of what's actually going on in the beer. So luckily, our production co-workers are great at this and we haven't had any widespread
1: issues with our sterile sampling technique thus far and it's important too that we like get the whole story of the beer as it moves to, like through production so we can't get all the samples all the time it would be entirely too much work so we rely on our coworkers and we trust them to get those sterile samples so that we can have an accurate picture of what's actually in the beer
0: do you want to give an example of like some of the various sampling points
1: Yeah, so we
2: are sampling starting off in the brew house. Once we are knocking out through that heat exchanger, uh, we are sampling at every step of fermentation, whether that be dry hop, fruit additions, or chills. We're sampling pre and post fuge to ensure that that fuge is clean because it sees so much of our product. Bright is our last sample once it's carbonated. That's our clearance to package things. And we're also testing all of our packages fresh packages and three weeks stored packages.
0: Tell us about what happens to those samples, which methods and media are you using, how do results get interpreted, and which tests does your lab focus on the most?
1: So we take all those samples that are either gathered for us or that we take ourselves and we're plating them on all different types of media. We use like, I think five or six in the lab, but we're really looking for um, particular organisms that will spoil beer. Um, so particular bacteria, wild yeast, and some mold that are beer spoilers, those are going to pop up on those media. Um, we make our own media at Odell because it's a little bit cheaper and we can have more control over what type of organisms we're looking at. Um, we take all those samples, we send some of them through microfiltration, and then some of them were direct plating based on what we're kind of looking for. And then we're incubating all of our samples for five days. Um, Some types of media rely on aerobic incubation and some are anaerobic. It just kind of depends on what we're looking for. Um, And then after five days, we'll take a look at all those plates. And if anything is growing on them that we didn't expect, um, then we'll flag it and we'll figure out what it is. So at that point, we're like, kind of trying to ID what kind of species is growing in the beer and determine if that's going to be a beer spoiler. We're looking at risk level, all that kind of stuff. Um, And then we're communicating those results to the rest of production.
2: Yeah, and in the chance that we are not able to identify things right away on our side, we can also run PCR and we also utilize some third-party sequencing just to ensure that we're not sending beer forward through production with a risky organism in it. We're really looking for how things change after we're adding raw materials throughout the fermentation process, because those raw materials are covered in microorganisms. That's kind of a common point for us to see contamination. And it also helps us pinpoint which suppliers are really providing us a clean product and which are maybe not doing such a great job
1: with that.
0: All right. Well, talk about your um, micro library.
1: Yeah. Um... So it's just a silly little binder that we put together. Um, but basically, every time we see an organism that we don't at first recognize and something we're going to send out for third party sequencing, we'll make an entro- entry into the micro library. And then it's kind of like a catalog of everything we've seen so far. Because Especially with wild yeast, it's really hard to determine which wild yeast it may be because under the microscope, they all look really similar. So, with the micro library, we're talking about cell morphology, how it looks under the scope, how it acts with certain tests, what's the grand stain reaction, all that kind of stuff. And then we can look back at it and identify organiz- organisms easier as we move forward. It's also a really good training tool. If we have somebody new in the lab, they can use the micro library and really lean on it um, as they get to know the organisms we commonly see.
0: You mentioned PCR earlier. Um, Tell us more about that. How are you using PCR at Odell's?
2: So we are using PCR to quickly detect the presence or absence of specific spoilage organisms. Uh, Specifically, we're looking for lacto, diastaticus, brett, are heavy, high-risk beer spoilers. So we're testing individual colonies that we see grow out of plate. We can test yeast slurries as well as FV samples and even packaged products. And we just use a basic BrewPro um, PCR set that we get. Um, it's kind of just what's convenient for us right now. But it is a great tool because we can get those results within five hours versus waiting that five-day period for
1: micro results. Um, it's great. And it's like a good um, double check for our traditional micro program. Our micro program is really robust. We test all of our beers a bunch of different times to make sure there's nothing in there. But if we may need to make a quick decision or if we have like yeast moving, like in a time frame that's lower than five days, we need those results a little quicker. So that's what we rely on PCR for.
0: So what do you do if you get like a, a hit on the PCR and then, you know, you're waiting several days before you get your, um, your, your other micro results. And, and then, you know, that comes back negative. What do you do in that situation?
2: So if we received a hit on PCR while we were awaiting micro results, we are going to pause the movement of that beer, um, and ensure that it's not contaminating anything else or contaminating any equipment. Um, and the chance that we do see a scary hit, we're definitely going to run PCR again, And if we're still waiting on those micro results and they come back negative, we're probably going to rerun PCR. And (laughs) at that point, if we're getting three positive PCR hits and negative micro, maybe something's wrong with our controls or maybe our buffers are contaminated on our side. But I yeah.
1: What do you want to add to that test? I would say. That in this sort of hypothetical, we're going to trust our traditional micro program more than we're going to trust PCR just because DNA testing is so finicky. I mean, there's DNA floating everywhere like you. It's just kind of hard to get that specific, even though we do. We have like a clean hood and we keep a really clean space. We wear gloves. We We have best practice. But. If we can't see the organism growing on a plate, then it's really, really hard to say what it is. Um, So we would rely more on traditional micro. I like
2: that. That That's a good one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then you mentioned that you do sometimes uh, utilize a third party service. Uh, What's the scenario in which you might do that? Uh, You know, um, I assume with all the things you're talking about, you don't have a great need for that, right?
2: Yeah, so we're relying on third party for full nutritional testing. Typically, Um, we're doing some genomic sequencing with our third parties just for those new organisms that are new to our library. And we're also using third party for some gluten validation when we do have some gluten free offerings in quotes gluten free offerings.
1: Um, But yeah, that's mainly our use for that. And I think specifically with micro third party testing, if we, so if we get a micro hit, like a specifically a wild yeast and we don't know what it is, um, we can run it on PCR to kind of rule out if it's a spoiler. But we would still like to know what that organism is because that kind of helps us trace it back to where it came from. So if it's a candida, like that's a really common organism that we'll find on fruit. So then maybe we need to trace it back to what fruit went in that beer or what types of hops. Like that traceability is really important so we can... Um, make sure that kind of hit doesn't happen again.
0: Yeah, totally makes sense. It reminds me of the, I forget the story and who it was, but the brewery that had contamination and it was like a soil bacteria and it came back from like the um, base was like a, like a keg that had been out in the woods, you know, and it got returned with <laughs> dirt on
2: the base. Whoa.
0: <laughs> Talk about the role of sensory in both QA and QC.
1: So the gold standard of quality is if your product is tasting good. If the beer doesn't taste good, then what are we doing all this other testing for? We have to make sure (laughs) our product is something that people will like and enjoy. So sensory is a really important part of our quality program. And it kind of, it is QA because it's like, envelops the entire process so everything that we've put into this beer all the raw materials all the testing the brewing the cellaring all these things they culminate in this beautiful delicious beer um, and we're testing it and tasting it and making sure it's good to go we invite all the co-workers at odell to participate in our sensory program we have taste panel every day and anyone is allowed to come even if they're not quote-unquote sensory trained. Um, We do provide trainings along the way. So new coworkers will come and do a taste panel training with us, and they have the opportunity to do more trainings throughout their career at Odell. But we think it's really important to pull from all different departments. People come from different walks of life. They bring different sensory skills to the taste panel room. And we also want a representative sample of our customer base and our audience. We want them to tell us truthfully how they're, they're thinking the beer is tasting. And if we just have the same four or five tasters in the room, um, that's not really going to do that. So it's really important that all people at Odell have the opportunity to taste the beer, tell us what they think about it, um, and they can flex their sensory skills.
2: Yeah, we're really lucky to work with so many folks from different breweries and different industries. Like we work with people who worked in distilling and we have a wonderful winemaker available to us and they provide us with such cool sensory perspectives that really are a great addition to our program.
0: I understand uh, as you just sort of alluded, there's also a winery at Odell's. Is there a separate wine lab or the same folks handling QC for both wine and beer?
2: So we are handling QC for wine and beer. Right now, our wine quality control program is pretty limited, but we are ensuring that things are clear, moving into package and helping Travis with a yeast prop here and there or uh, ensuring that fermentation is really kicking off. But other than that, they kind of rely on us to give them the green light that wine is tasting good in panel and that we're not going to have exploding wine cans
1: on a shelf one day. (laughs) Yeah, we make, compared to our uh, beer production, we make a really small amount of wine. And also, wine is like kind of a totally different product microbially. So, there's less risk um, for them not running everything through micro. It's just kind of a different beast.
0: Here's a quote from someone who attended your district Rocky Mountain presentation. Quote, they are doing a lot of things with their yeast management that other breweries are not. I'm honestly impressed with how much they get done with only a four-person quality staff, end quote.
1: Oh, damn. That's so nice.
0: There's a slide in that presentation stating that the lab's goal is to be yeast advocates around the brewery. Talk about that, then tell us all about how yeast management works at Odell's.
1: So yeast is probably one of our hardest working coworkers. We can't make the beer without the yeast, so that's kind of what we mean by being yeast advocates. Like they, they can't voice what they need, but we make good beer when our yeast is healthy and really happy. So we're using microbiology analytics. Um, we're monitoring the yeast and making sure it's going to make the best beer at all times. And a big part of that is our in-house propagation system. Um, You can do a couple things to make yeast at your brewery. Like, you can get a pitchable quantity. You can do smack packs. Um, But we maintain our own yeast library. And... Um, make sure we have total control over the health of our yeast as it grows up into a bigger prop Um, we manage i think three different strains right now we have a house strain a lager strain and then a hazy strain Um, so we're doing a yeast prop every couple months and um, we started in the lab in little flasks it grows up um, into a couple bigger vessels and then we'll pitch it into the beer and then we do a lot of pitching cone to cone Um, and when we're doing that pitching cone to cone we're monitoring the health of the yeast we're looking at cell counts viability we're looking at another scope so if we see a dip in any of those metrics then we can kind of dive in and see why the yeast is unhealthy do we need to reprop we're just keeping a really close eye on it because it does so much work for us around the brewery
2: yeah, we're also kind of encouraging our friends in the brewery to be gentle to our yeast. We're making sure that we're using slow positive displacement to move it, um, making sure that movement is slow. So we're lowering that opportunity for temperature temperature shock and just ensuring that everyone is aware that the yeast is controlling us pretty much and we need to be nice to it.
1: <laughs> totally. Coming up. Our packaging team is a huge part of our quality program because once you take a beer from a bright tank and put it into a package, there's just so many other things that can go wrong with it because you're introducing a lot of other um, different factors.
0: I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support.
3: Brought to you by BSG, who invite you to get funky with Fermentus Saff Brew BR8, the first dry Brett B culture available to brewers. BR8 offers the distinctive flavor of Brett B combined with the shelf stability and consistency of dry yeast. BR8 delivers fruity notes early on, but with aging, the base starts to slap as BR8 brings the funk. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. Get to
1: know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com.
3: Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from Brew Monitor, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today.
0: Would you like to increase yield and tank turns without compromising quality? Are you tired of high DO and temperature pickup, as well as high power consumption from your old centrifuge? Founded in 1878, Alpha Laval is the original centrifugal separator innovator. Alpha Laval's unique and innovative bottom-fed, fully hermetic separators are the most gentle way to centrifuge your beer and maintain its desired flavor and aroma profile. With a strong legacy in brewery applications, they have the technology and expertise to help you improve efficiency and yield without compromising quality. Learn more at alphalaval.us mbaa. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District St. Louis meets at the Old Herald Brewery and Distillery in Collinsville, January 13th and 14th. District Milwaukee meets at Delta Beer Lab in Madison, January 19th. Don't miss the Barley Lipids Impact on Brewing Process and Beer Quality webinar, January 24th. The 2023 District Ontario Conference at the Pillar and Post Inn begins January 25th. District Mid-South meets at Hutton & Smith Brewing Company in Chattanooga, January 28th. District St. Paul, Minneapolis meets at Blackstack Brewing February 23rd. The 2023 Master Brewers Conference will be October 6th through the 8th in Seattle, Washington. Check out the full calendar of events at MBAA.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now, back to the show. Absolutely. Um, I consider myself a yeast advocate over the years as well. But um, what uh, I'm a little surprised to hear you say that you're doing a lot of cone-to-cone pitching because it's widely understood that storing yeast under beer in the cone is not good for yeast health. Talk more about that because you obviously seem very... Uh, conscious of the health and condition of the yeast, how do you get away with pitching cone to cone?
2: Yeah, so once a vessel is completed fermentation, we chill it, and that allows that yeast to flock out. We're going to confirm that that source is viable in terms of overall viability, cell concentration. We're looking at things like percent solids, and we're also giving it a look on giving it a look under the scope to make sure that it's visibly okay. And from there, our brewers are pretty much taking over with pitching. Um, Like I said, they're using slow positive displacement pumps. And in between our yeast strains, we're making sure that we're doing a full scrub and hot kill. And we're monitoring the microbial stability of that cone to cone transfer through our traditional micro program. And we're also watching those firm times, following that cone to cone pitch, to ensure that that yeast is really performing as it should. Um, and as long as all of those things are green, we're going to continue to cone to cone. And we've seen yeast gens go up to fifteen or sixteen now, uh, just through that cone to cone pitching process.
0: Do you do you limit how long you, you're allowed to store yeast uh, in the cone like that? I mean, is it are you going to see the um, you know the viability crash uh, if it's in there for too long?
2: We actually haven't seen that happen with our yeast. We don't have a time limit on how long we will keep it chilled. We'll definitely see a viability drop once you get past that eight to nine day mark. But as long as we find it is within
1: our green range, we're going to say go for it.
3: Okay.
1: I think also our uh, specifically our house strain is so healthy like we rarely see a dip in her viability she's really great she does really good work for us and sometimes she probably feels a little bit abused but she continues to ferment beer and it's really (laughs) healthy and i love her
0: yeah it's amazing some strains can take um take a beating that other strains you know just you know wouldn't stand up to at all um it depends What do you consider to be essential to any brewery quality program?
2: Yeah, so when we talk about quality program essentials, number one has to be having a robust safety program because we need to ensure that our equipment is safe, that our coworkers are feeling safe because... Coworkers who don't feel safe are not going to do quality work, and we can't blame them. So that's just setting us up for success there. Following that, we're going to talk about things like SOPs and formal training, just to ensure we're all on the same page with that. Uh, we talk about things like out-of-spec communication. So especially on our side and the seller side, when sell counts are low or there's a micro hit, we need to make sure that we can get all the parties involved on the same page so we can have a discussion about some next steps, whether that be isolating a beer, rousing an FE, things like that. Um, past that, we have the ability to perform some quality holds. So in the chance that we do feel like a FE is not tasting great, and we don't wanna move it forward in the process. We have the ability to communicate that to other departments and hold that beer from moving to Bright. Um, we also talk about things like food safety awareness, just being aware of our practices with allergens and cross-contamination. And past that, I would say it's really important for everyone to do root cause analysis when a problem does arise in a brewery. You have to be able to find out where that problem came from to prevent it in the future and keep up with preventative maintenance. That's pretty essential to quality. That's stopping problems before they even happen.
0: Let's go back to QA for a bit. How do you approach QA for raw materials?
1: Raw materials are really important for a quality program because they go into the beer, they make it delicious, but also they are, they cause a lot of risk to our beer. So we're taking something from the outside world and we're putting it in our beer, which is a micro concern. It's a sensory concern. This is like... Um, A point where we have to be really careful because we're making really good beer. So we want to make sure everything that goes into it is also really good. When we're sourcing raw materials, we really place a lot of importance on building a good relationship with vendors um, and making sure those vendors are keeping quality top of mind as well. So if something comes up, we can contact them and talk it through if we need to send something back um, like fruit or hops or really anything. We have that good relationship and we can build on that. Um, And that makes sure our products are quality um specifically with things like fruit purees and hops and malts um, we love things to be like aseptically packaged Um, in our storage facilities we're making sure we're using first in first out mentality we're micro testing pretty much anything before it goes into the beer so if we get a new lot of fruit we'd love for it to be micro tested Um, we like to have it on taste panels so we can taste it before we put it in any project uh, any products um Things we kind of avoid with raw materials, if any of the goods are damaged or expired, we're not going to put that in the beer. Um, If there's any off flavors or off aromas, specifically with fruit, that's definitely not going in the beer. Um, And we're looking for any like visible contamination or growth. Um, Our seller folks are really good. They have the eagle eye for any sort of like mold or anything that's growing on that packaging because we don't want to put that in our product.
0: We just talked about. Yeast management. Is there anything else you want to mention in regards to yeast QA?
2: Um, so when it comes to the yeasty boys, we are also sometimes faced with a yeast contamination. And in that case, if it is already in an FV, we're going to just dead end that source. Uh, We won't harvest it or we won't cone to cone pitch it anymore. And depending on where we're at with that crop, that may cause us to do a reprop and we'll start over. And we're also going to go back and assess where that was compromised. That root cause analysis is super important there for us to avoid that in the future because props are time consuming and props are, Um, expensive yeah props are just time consuming and they are expensive they require a lot of time and a lot of material so the more we can avoid them the better
1: and also since we use a couple different types of yeast strains we're making sure that we're cleaning equipment before and after we are switching from strain to strain Um, and that goes for equipment in the cellar but also our packaging equipment as well our bottles cans and keg lines Mm -hmm.
0: Let's run through your process, start to finish, and hear about some of the important QC steps along the way. What happens in the brew house?
2: So in the brew house, we're going to get a sterile micro sample after each knockout, right after the heat exchanger. And we're going to run those through our micro filtration process. The brewers also help us maintain that sterile oxygen injection system as war is being knocked out into an FE. So they are routinely cleaning and autoclaving um, that material and using those filters. Uh, We also do some malt, hop, and water sensory with our raw materials prior to use in the brew house. The brew house also utilizes some great process controls. So we're looking at mash temp profiles, pH profiles, runoff times. We're ensuring that we're getting that vigorous boil and effective whirlpool.
1: They also help us make sense of the analytics that we get in the back end of brewing. So stuff like ABV, IBU, and SRM. Those metrics are really important for compliance, but also for the consistency of our product. If we see a a dip um, in AVB, ABV, or a change in IBU, we can probably attribute that to raw materials or some processes in the brew house. So we send them those metrics and then they can make changes to brew recipes, or we can talk about changing a spec or something like that. So we work together closely with the brew house to make sure those analytics are consistent.
0: Talk about what happens in the cellar.
1: So much happens in the cellar. Um, This is where we're adding a lot of raw materials into our beer. We do a ton of dry hopping, fruit additions, other kind of additions to the beer. So the cellar has a big um, job of making sure they're letting us know when things are added to the beer or when there's beer movement. So we can get micro on those samples. Um, We take micro at every step in the fermentation process and after any addition to the beer and after each movement. So we're kind of getting this whole micro story while the beer is living in the cellar. Um, So Before it moves into bright tank or package, we can make sure that beer is totally clean before it moves on to that next step. Because we've got, I don't know, half a dozen samples while it's in the cellar. Um, So the cellar communicates with us a lot about when things are moving, where they're moving to, so we can get that micro story. Um, And then sensory cellar... The cellar is the place where we can really get the first taste of the beer. Once a beer is chilled, we can taste the fermenter sample. Obviously, there's yeast and hops and solutions, so it's not going to taste like a finished beer. But at this point, you should be able to taste any off flavors or any aromas. So it's kind of like our first chance to make sure that the beer is going to be true to brand moving forward.
2: The seller is also keeping us in the loop with any process changes and any new equipment they're introducing, just so we can do cleaning validations for them with uh, rinse water samples, as well as any gluten validation in the chance that we're making a gluten free offering. Um, They're using a ton of equipment like pH meters, we're using handheld DMAs, we're using G meters, conductivity meters. So we're just ensuring that all of that is clean and maintained and up to date because they're really the ones actually using all of that equipment for us.
0: Let's hear about the um, QC for packaging operations.
1: Yeah, um, our packaging team is a huge part of our quality program because once you take a beer from a bright tank and put it into a package, there's just so many other things that can go wrong with it because you're introducing a lot of other um, different factors. So The packaging team has their own quality lab that they run and maintain. um, And they're testing all of our packaged products, um, specifically for our cans. They're making sure the seams are good to go, that everything is clean for bottles. They're doing things like um, making sure that the crowns are straight, the fill heights are good to go, um, making sure the oxygen levels are okay on the beers all that kind of stuff. Um, so they're really kind of self-sufficient in the qua- in their own quality program, and we just help them where they are needed. Um, we send back data and analytics on all their packaged products, um, but they grab micro-samples, they send us sensory samples. Um, so they're doing a lot of work in making sure that our products are quality as they're going into the package and as they're heading out the door. We have um, three different packaging lines bottles cans and kegs so that's a lot of different pack types um we're saving all of those samples to make sure that they're tasting good um long after they leave the brewery as well
0: i i think i saw that you're you're actually getting samples from from the different lanes of your of your keg line too. talk more about that because that's um that's obviously uh sounds cumbersome and sounds like uh um, you know, potentially even wasteful to have uh, have to set aside kegs for that. Um, how does that process work?
2: Yeah, so we are sampling from both lanes of our keg line for both sensory and micro. Um, when it comes to micro, we have had contaminations specific to one lane on our keg line, so having both of those samples has been helpful in us addressing any contamination issues. But when it comes to sensory, sometimes we see that a keg sample is flat. And we wanna see if the beer is flat or perhaps it's just that sample. So having extra samples around in sensory helps us to ensure that the product is tasting great. Uh, The mouth feels great, the carb is there. Um, It is tedious. Our pack team is so patient and lovely and we appreciate them so much for doing this, but it is really useful for us to see what's
1: coming off of both lanes because they are separate lanes. We also have this little keg robot thing called a Rotec, um, and that helps the packaging team grab samples, but they're also using that beer that would potentially, you're right, be wasted for other metrics. Um, They're running that through their quality lab um, and making sure all the metrics, all the analytics are good. And then we're also tasting the beer from that little Rotec keg. So... We're not necessarily wasting an entire keg every time we test from each lane. Um, Sometimes we are, but also we think it's worth it. We send these kegs all over our footprint. Um, And sometimes kegs sit for a while at bars. I mean, once they leave our doors or our trucks, it's kind of hard to ensure that that quality is going to be there. So we want to make sure that beer going in the keg is perfect and that the keg is clean and the equipment is good so that it's the best it can be by the time it reaches that bar.
0: Do you want to say anything about the um, the library of packaged beer that you keep on hand?
1: Yeah,
2: so we have three different archives. We have a room temperature archive, and that's kind of to mimic how our beer behaves in the wild, for, uh, for example, on a store shelf. Um, they don't always taste great after three weeks, but they're usually passable. We like to say that if you would drink it at a concert, it's not that bad, so... <laughs> warm beer at a concert we'll take another and we have a cold archive we rely on that one more for any customer complaints that may come through uh which are rare i would like to put out there our beer is wonderful <laughs> so uh, we have some <laughs> Yeah,
0: <Hey>, i've, I've <laughs> had you- it i, I I've, I've had it occasionally i can attest to the fact that it's pretty pretty good so
2: there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so in the chance that we do have a customer complaint, we can pull from that archive to get a representative sample. And we'll usually run that through sensory to ensure that we're not tasting the same thing. And if we are, maybe we need to look into it more. Um, we also have a very warm store archive and that lives above the boiler room. So it is a billion degrees in there every day, <laughs> but we are using that archive simply just to test cans on Al, our ABV system. So that's really That's really it.
0: What's one of your favorite things about how QC at Odell works?
1: I think one thing that's really cool about our quality program and our lab is that, yes, we're a really small lab team. We only have three lab techs and a lab manager. But that kind of ensures that all three of us are experts in everything the lab does. So all three of us can run micro, we can do wet chemistry, we know sensory science, and we are experts at yeast management. And so we can kind of mix and match with things that we like. And if someone has PTO and is out or if it just simply isn't around, we can answer all the questions that somebody might have. Um, we're just a really efficient and knowledgeable lab team, not to toot our own horns, but um, we do great work. <laughs> <laughs> and although <laughs> And although we're really small, we are really comprehensive in our quality program
0: you ladies got some rave reviews i i you know occasionally i ask out i ask people because i can't be everywhere so i ask you know how um how a presentation went and i just got i mean seriously i have like i'm looking at like a half a dozen different people who are going on and on like so uh here i'll read you a few just so you can feel good about yourselves uh let's see um it was awesome i was there to hear it and see it and afterwards I told Tess and Lauren it was the best lab talk I've ever seen in my 20 plus years as a Master Brewers member. Blah, blah, blah.
1: That's so
0: nice. Um, (laughs) Let's see. I already read you the one about yeast management. Uh, There's another one that was, um, these ladies are intrepid in creating great educational content. Um, let's see. Oh
2: my! Um, I'm putting that on my LinkedIn. <laughs> should,
1: like, wow. Yeah, that's
0: just going uh, on my resume. <laughs> I'm biased as these. I am biased as those were my coworkers until just recently, but I was very impressed with how thorough they were and how applicable it was for breweries of varying sizes. So that's just a few of the ones there. So um, hopefully that makes your day a little better.
1: That's awesome. That's so
2: sweet. Yeah. Thank you. That's so cool. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that.
0: That was Tess Downer and Lauren Rivera here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Well, it sounds like my interview with Tess and Lauren probably didn't do their presentation justice. But that's okay because you can find a direct link to their presentation in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers Podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.